welcome back to It's Pretty Personal, a podcast all about sharing South Asian stories. I hope you guys are doing well and are enjoying the early days of spring. Is anyone else planning to do a spring clean? Because honestly, I feel like I've done more wardrobe cleanups and takeout orders in the past year. And don't get it. Like, why do I keep finding clothes to donate? Today, I'm joined by Ishpreet, a Sikh author and poet living in London and honestly, a certified sweetheart. She is such a kind and genuine soul. And I'm so glad that we became Instagram friends and that I have her on the podcast today. In 2020, Ishpreet published her first book called Recovery, penciling her journey of self-acceptance and personal development. It's such an amazing book and I can say that because I have read it and thoroughly enjoyed it. Ishpreet is really talented and if you're interested in her work, check out her book and her Instagram page, which I've linked below. And whilst you're there, don't forget to check out my social media, Instagram, Twitter and TikTok at Pretty Personal. And if you're listening to Apple Podcasts, you can kind of scroll to the bottom of this podcast episode and you can write a review and also rate it five stars, which I will really appreciate if you do. This episode is all about mental health in the South Asian community, Ishpreet's journey in becoming a published author. Oh, and also flowers, but not those kind of flowers. Enjoy! and welcome back to another episode of It's Pretty Personal. I hope you guys are all doing well. I have a new guest with me this week and her name is Ishpreet. You might know Ishpreet through Instagram or through her books because Ishpreet is an author. So she's 22 years old, a daughter of four girls raised in a Sikh Punjabi family from London. She's been writing poetry for seven to eight years and has been working on her first poetry book for around three years which she published in October 2020. So Ishpreet, hi, and congratulations on publishing your first ever book. Hello. Thank you so much. Sounds so weird now that it's finally out. I can't believe you're 22 years old and you've published a book. I'm like, wow, that is amazing. Well, I feel older, <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> How have you been this week? Yes, good. It's been really nice to just catch up with everything. It's been really overwhelming the past few weeks since launching. So it's just catching up to speed, messaging everyone and just get my book out there. I actually ordered your book and I'm like yet to read it just with everything going on. But now I just feel like I'm going to have more time. You know, when you just want to do it justice and you really just want to have time to read it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, I can't wait. And I can't wait to actually message you about it as well. Because like, I've read your stuff online. Ishpreet has an Instagram page that I'm going to link in the episode description that some of your poetry is showcased on and it's probably something we'll talk about later in the episode and your stuff is really good so I'm really glad that you have a book out. Oh thank you so much. It actually just started off as a collection of poems so I wasn't really sure that it was going to turn into a book and only like a few years into it I was like okay maybe I should turn this into something that kind of carries a story so that's, I think, what took so long to create. <laughs> so one thing that I always do when I have a guest on my podcast, I kind of do like an icebreaker, get to know you thing, because obviously I know you, but the people listening don't know you that well. So I have a few questions. Are you ready? Yeah. So the first question is, what is your favorite book? I have a few favorites. Go on, tell me. Ruby Dahl. She's written this book called My Hope for Tomorrow. I've not been able to put that book down because it's a book that you can reread and just keep going back on. So I really, really like her writing. But also Ruby Cole, she's kind of like set a really high standard and oh, her poetry is just beautiful. And recently I've actually bought this book by a very young author. She wrote this book when she was 18. Her name is Darshleen Kaur. 
And her book is called Love Yourself More. It's beautiful. So I'm definitely like just on Amazon now ordering those books. I'm so glad that there are so many South Asian authors. Yeah. All the authors you said. They're all women, all Asian women. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing. I've said this before in another episode that I think growing up, we haven't really been told to go through that creative route and to write. We've always been told to do like medicine or law or yes. finance. Like, so it's actually so nice because like growing up, I wish that I could read books from South Asian authors or Sikh authors or just a girl like me. Yeah, definitely. There's so many people like us that are now writing books and representing our community. It's been really nice, actually, to be able to resonate with someone's words on a much deeper level. Yes. And that's kind of what I wanted to do with my book. I didn't want it to just be another poetry book. I wanted there to be some sort of relevance. So that's kind of why I've read these books. I've taken inspiration to how these writers really portray their words and showcase their stories. People will be thinking about that with you. Like, oh my God, I don't know how she's done it. Literally, I don't feel the same way about my writing, but ironically. So next question is, what's one thing that happened today that you're grateful for? Being able to just check in with my sisters because my elder sisters are married and we don't live in the same house. So because of the whole COVID situation and lockdown, I've been more grateful and thankful for like FaceTime and just being able to still see each other's faces when we're still like miles apart. And so we do this thing now where every morning I get a wake up call and it's lovely. So that's something I look forward to every morning. Yeah, that's how I feel with like my best friends. Yesterday, we were actually baking over FaceTime. Like we were like... Oh guys, let's do something. Like we were all like, oh, let's do something. I was like, guys, do you want to bake cookies? And they're like, yeah, let's bake cookies. Literally, like, last minute plan. And we all ended up just, like, rushing to Tesco's, getting our ingredients, and then cooking over FaceTime. It was just so much fun. Like, that's the thing that I miss, the spontaneity of just, like, doing stuff. Definitely. Because we can't go out. So it's like, okay, how do we make things fun at home? But like you said, I'm so grateful for video chat and technology because we're still able to be connected with people even though we can't see people. And I can just imagine everyone feeling 10 times worse if we weren't able to visually communicate with one another. To see them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think one thing I'm grateful for is the fact that you moved this recording to today and not tomorrow. So I didn't have to get up early. Because I was thinking about it and I was just like, oh, Preeti's going to have to wake up and it's like a Sunday. And I'm just like, she probably sounds stupid. I was like, let me just message her. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Like, I haven't had a lion for like the longest time. So. And I'm like, this girl's on a roll. Yeah. So I was like, okay, let me just like, seeing as I'm not doing anything, let me try and move my schedule. I really appreciate that so much. <laughs> no, don't worry about it. And then finally, one last question is, what's one life lesson that you've learned that you would like to share? Appreciate the small moments, even the little things. Because I think they're underrated, just something as simple as just literally seeing your friends or just having a family time. It's like those small things that we take for granted that actually have the best memories. What about you? Oh, what is one life lesson that I have learned? Your worth doesn't come through other people. Oh, yes. That's very good. And it's a, it's a quote that I actually read today on Instagram. Like, you know, sometimes you just read something and I'm like, oh, shit, that's so true. And it's the fact that I think growing up, we've kind of been conditioned that our worth comes from other people. But actually, no, your worth comes from yourself. And I think a lot of times we forget it. It was just nice to be reminded of that today and realize that my worth doesn't come through another person or person messaging me or 
the amount of likes on Instagram or whatever it may be, my worth comes from me. And as long as I'm happy within myself, which I am, that's the most important thing. I think that's brilliant. So one of the things that we wanted to talk about in this episode was firstly your book. What was it like? Let's go back to basics. How did you even get into writing? I didn't actually used to write poetry. What I used to do was actually just write what I was feeling on a certain day. So if, for example, I had just a really heavy day or something might have triggered me to feel a certain way, I'd just write it all down. And then later I would look back and I read my work and I'm like, okay, so how can I turn this whole page of writing into four lines? And I would just pick out key words and turn it into a poem. And then as I got more confident, I knew that I didn't have to keep writing such lengths to be able to still tell that story. So now I can just go straight into poetry. So it's actually quite nice that I've been able to kind of build my technique and method into writing. Poetry is so different though, because I don't know, I find it so hard when I read poems. I'm literally like, how have you conveyed all this emotion in such small words? It's very hard. Yeah. Like, how do you do it? Sometimes I feel some of my poems, I look at it and I'm just like, okay, I know what this means, but how do I show that to someone who doesn't know my story or doesn't know the context behind this? And it's literally just going back and reworking and rewording and making sure you're choosing the right words. I think word choice is understated. Is it? And I don't think we understand the value of our words and what we say. Because once you say something, you can't really take it back. And I think it's the same with poetry. Like when you write something, I feel you're putting your thoughts and emotions and kind of what you feel onto paper. And I feel like when you write it down, it almost becomes real. How long does it take you to like edit one poem? Because I'm assuming it's a process, right? Yeah. So sometimes I can write a poem between three minutes and three months. There are a few poems actually in my book that I've just written just like that. And I've not touched it, I've not edited it because I want to keep what I felt at that time in that poem. But then there's been some poems I'm just like, it's just not working. And that I've had to rework for quite some time. Do you feel like you have to be in the moment at that spark of inspiration and all of a sudden you're like, you need a notebook, you need to write it down? Definitely. If I've thought of something, I have to write it down there and then because I don't want to misplace my words or ruin that process of me writing. But I mostly end up thinking and writing at nighttime. So I'm a bit of a night owl. So like literally 10 o'clock onwards, my brain will be like, ping, let's start writing. And I'm like, no, it's sleeping time. Go to sleep. When was that idea came that it's like, actually, I think I've got enough poems here to publish a book. What was that like trying to find a publisher and trying to actually get your work out there on like a much bigger scale? Very hard. So I self-published because it's very hard to find an author to back you, especially because I don't have that large of a social presence and not a lot of people know about me, but that's something that I'm trying to build and develop as I go on. And it is quite disappointing at times because you, you are constantly sending your work to these very, very big uh, publishing houses that they can't take on everyone. And you have to believe that what you're writing is good and true. And I realized, I was like, I'm not going to wait until a publishing house takes me on. I'm going to self-publish. And so I took that on for myself. It's very difficult. It's very time consuming and it's costly. But I think when you are determined to do something and when you know that I'm at a stage now where, okay, I'm ready to present this. I'm ready to have it out there then all you want to do is just have it out there. I think it took me about six months to fully get it ready and out. 
Wow. How was it for you when you had to like deal with all those rejections though? At the start, it must have been hard. Yeah, yeah. It's quite demotivating at sometimes because then you think that your work's not good enough. And then you do start to compare yourself with other authors and writers that have made it to much larger publishing houses. And that's when you know that that sort of energy is not good to be constantly comparing yourself. And that's what I stopped doing because I'm like, I'm not in the same position as these people. I'm not established enough. So I can't compare myself to these other authors. I'm still new. So it's okay if it takes me a little bit longer. And it's okay if at first I have to start it off and do it myself. And I think it's just all part of the learning process. If you believe that what you're doing is with good intent, then good things will happen. I love that. That is so true. I think a lot of people, when they do start a venture or a passion project, because you put your heart and soul into it, you're like, why is this not resonating with other people? Why are other people not seeing my work? Why do they not love it as much as I do? And then you realize that they see like the 10%, they see the end result. They don't see the behind the scenes or the amount of late nights or the amount of constant mental breakdowns, whatever it may be. There was actually a point where I wasn't going to publish. Like that's how hard it got. Like I went through so many phases where I was just like, you know what, forget it. I'm not going to do this. It's just too mentally draining. And you go through stages. Like I stopped writing for months. I think I stopped writing for about four months. Probably the longest I've not written. And even like my sister's caught on, like, why are you not writing? And I'm just like, you know what? I just don't want to do this. This is not working. But you go through these phases because you realize how important it means to you. And then just learn to pick yourself up again. So it's definitely been a process. It's probably why it's taken me so long to publish. I think that's great. And it just shows your perseverance and the fact that when you really, truly want something to happen, firstly, it will happen for you. But secondly, you've got to make that happen for yourself. And like you said, it was like the right time for you. And I'm honestly like so proud that you even did it as well. It still feels really surreal though, because when people message me saying, oh, Ish, I got your book. And I'm like, that's great. I was like, oh, wait, you got my book. You got my book. (laughs) And I'm like, oh crap, that person's reading it. And I'm just like, no, it's a good thing, but it's all scary because I'm just like, I want to know what you think, you know, what you thought of certain poems and how it reads and how it flows. And I'm like, you know, give me constructive criticism. Like, tell me, like, what can I do to improve? And I'm just like, can you stop asking me that? And just let me tell you that it's good. I'm like, okay, that's fine. (laughs) I think that's great, though, because it is always a learning process. And it's your first book. I love it when people give me not criticism, constructive criticism about my podcast, because it's like, that's true. Like, I want to constantly keep improving it. And I would never know unless you tell me. So I always welcome constructive feedback. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's so important. Like I don't ever really take it personally unless it, like, it feels personal. Yeah, but I'm always just like, okay, tell me where I can improve. And I used to do that before I published my book. I think I sent it to about five independent people, people who I could trust and just had a bit more of a knowledge and background of poetry and writing. And I think the most that anyone changed was like a sentence in my excerpt. That was it. And I'm just like, no, but tell me where I need to improve. And they're just like, we can't change your story, your way of writing, because that's what makes it mine. And that's when I learned the way I write and the way I think and the emotions that I put in, no one else will be able to edit. And I think that's what makes your writing yours. And I think that's what makes your podcast yours, because the way that you talk and you share and you engage is what makes you creepy. And I think that's great. Similarly to how creative artists create their work. That's what makes it theirs. 
That's the thing. It makes you you. And at the end of the day, you can only be yourself and that's it. Like you can't exactly. be anybody else because otherwise it's exhausting. Like it's so tiring. Can you imagine just being someone else all the time? Like, <sighs> And I think it really affects your mental health, which is something that we really want to talk about. And I was just wondering, how has your journey with your mental health been? It's definitely been a rocky journey. I mention it in my book that I was very angry for a very long time just because I didn't like the changes that were happening in my life. And because I had no control was the frustrating thing. I had to take quite a lot of responsibility at a young age. And obviously my story is not the same as quite a a lot of young individuals, but a few people have been able to resonate because helping someone and living with a loved one that has a terminal illness can be very, very difficult. As a result, not only did my mental health really get affected, but also individuals in my family because we're all thinking the same thing we all feel the same thing but no one really wants to say anything because then it will make the other person feel down and therefore nothing is really improving so what do we do kind of thing I think a lot of times especially in families it's like you don't say it because you're trying to protect one another that's how it was no one wanted to make the other person feel any lower and I think that's also why I went for counselling And it's a personal choice that I took because I felt that I needed to kind of just diffuse my emotions in a way that I knew I wouldn't have to lighten or soften what I felt at the time. So it was just kind of like a conversation with someone who didn't know me, didn't know my story. There was no judgment. There was no opinion that was formed. It was literally just a way to have a conversation with someone to be like, this is how I'm feeling. And it was just nice to get a fresh perspective from someone who obviously had a lot of experience in dealing with these sorts of things. And it just meant I could talk to my family in a better way because I had initially had that conversation with someone. So it just makes expressing your emotions and feelings a lot clearer. And I felt that I was able to just present my words in a more clear manner to my own family because I had already spoken about them. It's something that I encourage a lot of people to do. There is definitely a taboo about asking or seeking professional help because it's the idea that, you know, conversations within the house should stay in the house. I think that's where it's wrong. It shouldn't be shunned to ask for help. It doesn't make you weak. It must definitely does not make you weak. If anything, you have to be a very strong person to realize that, okay, I'm not where I want to be right now. I'm not feeling 100%. What can I do to make me feel a little bit better? How can I help myself get there? And that takes a very strong, determined person, I think. Really agree. I think there's so much strength in recognizing, firstly, that you need help. But secondly, even going to get help, because that's so scary. And I feel like society and especially like the community has made it such a scary thing. When at the end of the day, you're just talking to someone. And I think when you break down all the stigmas and all the taboos, you're basically just talking to someone. The same way you will go to a doctor for a flu or an infection or whatever it may be. Like you go to a doctor and there's no stigma against going to a doctor. But then why is there a stigma going to a counsellor? I think it's so important for people just to be a bit more self-aware and understand the triggers and know like, okay, I'm starting to feel like this. Why is it that I'm starting to feel like this? If something's making me feel anxious, I'm like literally sit myself down and be like, why am I feeling a little bit anxious? Or why do I feel down? Or why do I feel weird? Is it the weather? Is something happened? Is it something that I've repressed that I need to like talk about? 
whilst everyone has their own different ways but again I think a lot of it also comes from having a good support system and having people around you if you don't want to talk to a third person or you don't want to go to counseling like it's fine but talk to someone about it because at the end of the day like when you keep stuff in like you're only hurting yourself because it just builds up and then it becomes harder to talk about the smaller things because like well they don't really understand the full context as to why I'm feeling like this so if I say something it might trigger a much larger conversation that you're not ready to have yet it's so important to have that strong support system unfortunately not everyone has that it's finding that person, whether it's a friend, a family member, or a partner to just be like, you know, I'm not okay. I want to talk to you. And I think the other person needs to be open and willing and just be like, you know, you can speak to me. I'll listen. You speak kind of thing. And I wrote a poem called Speak to Me. It's a very strong poem and it, it means a lot to me because for a long time, I guess you could say just a listener or my mum. So most of the time wouldn't say anything. I wouldn't ask her anything. I would just sit there and she would just speak. And it was just her way of just letting off steam and just letting off her frustrations, her anger, whether something happened that day or whether something didn't go according to plan. It was just her chance to just diffuse. And I was her diffuser. And for the longest time, it meant a lot to me that she could still confide in someone. And I hope in some sense that my poetry can be used as diffusers for individuals who are able to resonate with my words. So although I might not be able to physically speak to individuals who have bought my book, it's nice that my poetry can hopefully still have that same effect. Yeah, you'll be surprised like how many people can resonate with something that they've read and never even know that person, but then be like, wow, this person's like me. And that's actually really meaningful and fulfilling. But in terms of in our community, for example, like we're both been jumpy. I feel like we have a lot of toxic positivity. And I think it's because like, the older generation weren't really taught about mental health. They didn't know what it was. So I would know that, for example, sometimes I'm like, I feel a bit down and that. Don't feel down. Be happy. And I'm like, yeah, because I can really switch my emotion off like that, right? Like, yeah, you said I'm happy. I'm now happy. And a lot of us have experienced it is when someone's like, oh, don't be sad. Like, it'll be fine. Like, don't worry about it. And I've done it. I'm guilty of it too. If my friends are like, oh, I feel down. I'm like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. But I'm saying it in like a encouraging way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're being supportive. Yeah. But then at the same time, I'm like, if I got that, I'd be like, listen to my problem. Like, don't tell me it's going to be okay. Like right now, I just need to vent. So I think I've been a bit more mindful of it, but I know I do it and I need to stop doing it because I guess it's natural. Like at the end of the day, like it's someone you care about. You don't want them to be sad. So you're like, it's okay, like be happy. And like the problem is like when you say be happy. You're not really solving yeah, the issue. You're kind of just like covering it up. Now I'm trying to make a more conscious effort. Be like, okay, cool. But why are you unhappy? Like, what's up? Like, talk to me. And I think that's the thing that we need to kind of tell the older generation is that our feelings are valid. Like whatever you're feeling in that moment in time, like you're okay to feel that. I think a lot of times we just need to realize why are we feeling like that? When you feel a certain type of way, there's something that you're hiding even from yourself. And it's something so deep rooted that you're like, I didn't realize it was that. I don't know if you've had similar experiences. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, as you've just mentioned, it's in our community, we're so good at putting on this facade. If we smile and if we present ourselves well enough, then everyone else will think that we're okay. And therefore we can have like meaningless conversations where we talk to each other and we say, oh, like, you know, in Punjabi, like, 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 yeah, you're good. You're good. Good. Right. So that's the end of our conversation. But no one's actually asked each other, you know, what is going on? Unfortunately, we've had a few experiences where a few weeks down the line, we find out like, 
oh, this happened and this person's not well. I was like, but I just asked you last week, how is everything? And you said it was fine. They're like, oh yeah, but we didn't want to worry you or anything. And I'm just like, but this is a whole point of conversation to check in on people. But there's no point saying, yes, I see Pete we're fine, but you're not. And I think it's like, we cover our emotions and our feelings because we're just like, oh, they don't want to know. We don't want to burden them with it. Yeah, we, we don't want to like just throw our emotions on someone like it's not necessary or they think that what they're feeling is not important and I think that's worse because everyone's emotions are important and everyone matters I do the same thing with my dad and he's a very quiet man so I know how to read him and I know when he's not 100% and with him I know what I need to do in order to make sure that he's feeling 100% And often it's just having conversation when it's just me and him. But I'd rather him just confide in someone than no one. I'm just like, okay, look, it's just me and you. Let it all out. And I'm glad that we have that. He's from an older generation and his mentality is the same. And I'm just like, oh, so like, how are you? Like, fine. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not really answering my question. So I've stopped asking that. And I say, how are you feeling? Because that forces you to think and it actually forces you to check in with your emotions. So I never really ask any of my friends, how are you? I say, how are you feeling today? And then they say, oh, you know what? This morning's been a bit crap or this morning's been fine. And they'll tell me how they're feeling. And that's much better. I think that's so important. Like going back to your point, I feel like there's now become two ways to say, how are you? It's like, how are you? And then how are you? Like, how are you really doing? And it's a bit like, why the hell has how are you just become good, fine? And then the fact that I have to literally ask you, how are you twice? Or be like, how are you really doing? That you're going to then tell me how you're feeling. But going back to your previous point, I've experienced it in my family. Is that when my mom will talk to like aunts, they'll be like, how are you? Good. How are the kids? Good. 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 And it's like, okay, maybe that's just a relationship you have. Because obviously you need to have a very established relationship with someone to actually tell someone their feelings. If you're quite distant from them and it's a very like you meet once every three months or what, you wouldn't really want to tell someone how you're actually feeling because you're not comfortable with them. But if you're comfortable with that person, like honestly tell them how you're actually feeling because that person cares. Yeah, definitely. And they wouldn't communicate with you otherwise. And then you're kind of making light of the relationship that you do have with those people because you're not doing them justice and sharing them the most vulnerable moments and the best moments. You shouldn't always just expect good things to come from a conversation. You should expect to just listen and check in with someone. We just always assume that everyone's just good. And unfortunately, not everyone is. It's just become so normalized. I think it's just such a natural reaction. If I'm like, Ishri, how are you? You'll be like, I'm good. Yeah, I would say to you, like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, fine. (laughs) Because in the one sense, like, yes, I am fine. But at the same time, yeah, I could talk a little bit deeper and I can like share with you like what else is going on. But if you don't establish that relationship, if you don't have that confidence to talk about it, then our conversation is going to last five seconds. (laughs) But then it's going to be a dead convo. And that's the problem. Like, you know, when it's like really dead small talk, I hate small talk. I just think it's such a waste of time. Like, it's such a waste of time. But sometimes you do need to do the small talk, like in the office or in the kitchen. Like you're not going to be telling some person you work with your deepest, darkest moments. You're just there trying to make a tea. And you're just like, you know what? I had the worst dream last night. And this is like Scott from marketing that has absolutely no clue who you are. 
And it's hilarious because, you know, what? I've had those moments in the office where I'm literally just trying to like be in my own peace and just make a cup of tea. And then someone just comes up to me and just tells me the whole life story. And I'm like, I'm glad you feel comfortable sharing that with me. But sometimes it's actually really nice when someone actually does talk about something quite deep, like within. I think I acknowledge that that's really difficult for someone to do. So I definitely will be like, do you want to have a chat? If you want to discuss this, you know, let's have a drink. Let's talk about this. Yeah. Because you want to give the conversation justice also. You want to make sure that the person is also feeling scared at the same time of discussing something that's quite personal. So you want to make them feel comfortable enough that they can still discuss this with you. But small talk is what I try to avoid. Honestly, sometimes it's needed, but I just feel like I wish there was a way to do small talk, which isn't dead. Like sometimes I feel like you need small talk to even get to that deeper level and to establish a connection. But you know, when small talk is so dead, it's like, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite food? Oh, that's cool. Uh, uh, uh. But knowing me, I would just tell you my favorite color, even if you didn't ask me. Like that's the level of weirdness that I'm at. Because as soon as it gets like small talky, like when you're still stuck in small talk. Yeah, then you know that you're not really having a meaningful conversation. It's just kind of like a, well, at least I asked you how you were. That formality is essentially done. So at least you can't say that I didn't ask you how you were. That's definitely coming from a very cultural outlook because we do that a lot in our community. I think so too. I think it's just a formality. And it's a bit like, well, why talking to me a formality? Like it's a job responsibility or something. Like you have to talk to this person. Don't feel forced to talk to me that you don't have to. Exactly. I think it's the idea that, oh, a few weeks have passed now and I haven't called this person. So let me call them. Let me check in. But let's just have a conversation for like maybe a few minutes. But let's not talk about anything meaningful. But then at least you can say that I called you. But then what's the point of that? What's the point? Yeah. I rather you just don't call or call when, you know, you actually have something you'd like to share. And I think that makes for a more meaningful conversation. And I feel like relationships between people end up becoming stronger. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think it's always the quality as well. And it's that quality versus quantity. If you have something meaningful to say, like I'd rather have a conversation with you once every couple of months and it'd be like a five hour catch up with you. Like, do you know what I mean? And we just talk about everything rather than me like calling you every two weeks and to be like, so what's the update? What's up? Yeah. Obviously there's certain people, aka my best friends who I will talk to every single day. Like I do the same thing with my friends and even with my sisters and we'll be on FaceTime. But like everyone's just like, yeah, but I mean, I just spoke to you a few minutes ago. I'm like, we're on the FaceTime again. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, so what you doing? And I'm just like, okay, maybe I should leave them alone now. What's the update? No, I do that a lot in like home as well. When you're at home, you see each other's face, it's 24-7. I remember my dad's like, so what's new? And I'm like, nothing since the last two hours that I spoke to you. And I'm like, what's new with you? And now it's become a running joke in my house. Tell me what's new. And I'm like, bruv, there's nothing to say. There's nothing new. <laughs> you're like, I really wish I had something to tell you. But nothing. <laughs> nothing. Like, there's actually nothing. It's so funny though, because like my dad's the exact same, because he'll go for a walk and he'll come back and I'm just like, so who did you see? Who did you meet? And he's just like, I went for a walk. I go for a walk by myself. And I was like, I know. What does outside look like? What's the vibe? Is it cold? Is it warm? I'm just at home, just moving from different room to room to experience a different vibe. I get you. I literally go from my room to the living room to the kitchen and that's it. That's, that's my daily routine. I'm going to the point now where I work in the living room because then I can see the kitchen. And now it's just like, oh, let me just go see what's in the fridge. And I'll shut the fridge 
I'll go back to the dining table and I'll be like, let me just go see what's in the kitchen and then go back. Gotten to the point now where I just open the fridge to just kill time because I don't know what I'm looking for. I'm not hungry, but I could eat. I relate to that. All right, let me just make food. I'm just like, but for who? Like, why are we making another meal at like three o'clock? It's not dinner time. It's not lunch time. Honestly, I do that now. I've actually started working from the kitchen just because it's easy access to like water bottles and like snacks and food. And it's kind of nice that not to be working in my room because as soon as I work from my room, I will literally go into my bed, especially when it's freezing cold now and it's so gloomy and you just want to be in your duvet all day. You need to have a distance between like your sleeping habit and your working because you don't want to combine them because then it's not good for you. You want to make sure you're giving yourself a break. Yeah. And it's not good posture to like work from bed. It's very bad for you. Don't do it. Although it's very comfortable. Don't do it. I actually really love this conversation. It's free. I feel like I could just talk to you forever. But one thing that I always do when I have a guest is that I do a little quick fire round and just do like a bunch of really easy breezy questions. Are you ready? Okay, <laughs> let's do it. So first question is heels or flats? Heels. Who do you turn to when you're sad? Oh, my elder sister. What is one thing that you want to learn in 2021? To be able to speak more confidently about my own work and maybe try and do like public speaking. That thought is quite daunting right now, but maybe one day. I think you're great. Like even like on this podcast, you've been amazing. Like you don't seem shy or anything. Like you just seem like yourself and it's great. So honestly, believing yourself. No, I'm like freaking out inside. <laughs> don't be. <laughs> Do you have a favorite type of flower? Not cooking flower, I mean like flower. Yeah. Like floral flower. I prefer uh, self-raising. <laughs> <laughs> Not gonna lie, we do. I would just say a daffodil, you know those yellow flowers. I really like daisies. Oh yeah, daisies are cute. I like those. I actually like roses too. Not gonna lie, apart from that, I don't really know all the other flowers. I know there's like petunias and like... Oh no, no, you're getting a bit too advanced for me now. Too technical now. Tulips and lilies. Yeah, there we go. We know (laughs) We get, we know flowers. (laughs) Like, you know when people send you flowers? I never got sent flowers in the post until like 2020. I had a lockdown birthday. And I literally got like a bouquet of flowers in the post by like my friends. I was like, okay, I understand why people think this is so cute now because it's actually so nice when someone sends you flowers. It's so nice, literally. And I'm just like, it's such a nice surprise to come home to. I was like, oh, these are going to look so beautiful for the next seven days. Yeah, I think it's because I don't buy flowers for myself, like ever. You know, that has something to do with decor and stuff. Like we never have flowers in our house. We have them in the garden, but just not in the house. And it's actually really nice when someone sends you flowers. It is really nice. Maybe I should do that. Buy some flowers. Yeah, do it if you treat yourself. No, but my dad will be like, let's buy a tree. Do you know what? It's that Indian mentality, isn't it? It's like, why buy one pack of flowers when you can buy the tree? When you can buy a tree. And then get unlimited flowers for the next 30 years. You know what I'm saying? It's been going on about it for the last few months. Ish, we need to buy a tree. I'm like, okay, so you know what? I'm just going to buy a tree tomorrow. Yeah, but what tree do you want? Because I, I feel like you should get a fruit tree then so that you can also yield the benefits. We've got an apple tree. You might get a pear tree. Yeah, my mum wants a blueberry bush because we have a raspberry bush. Whoa, raspberries, isn't that really hard to look after? Oh my God, I'm not joking. So we got this raspberry plant like a couple of years ago and every year it doubles in size. It's gone so big now. I feel like it's like five foot. Oh wow. Like five foot tall and it has all these raspberries and they all like get ripe at the same time. 
oh, I think I want a raspberry bush now. I think okay. you should do it. Like in a couple of years' time, in the summer, we used to get punnets like every single day, like so many raspberries. Oh, wow. We didn't know that. Like, we started giving it to neighbours, friends and stuff because we're like, you have a raspberry. Yeah, please take the. And raspberries, it's a very nice berry. It's very, very sweet. And I feel like it's quite high maintenance as well, though. Do you know what? I think it's like a back home thing because like our back garden is like an allotment. Like, we have so many different kind of fruits and veg and stuff. It's because like they all brought up on a farm, innit? So it's like the farmer life just stays with them forever. It's true. That's my dad's only job to look after the garden. So it's fine. I was like, maybe I should give him another job. Another tree <laughs> or a raspberry bush. Next question is, do you like cooking or baking? Cooking, I can't bake. Nothing rises. Like literally, I look in the oven. Not even with the self-raising flour. Not even with the self-raising flour. Like I'm looking at it in the oven and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's growing, it's growing, it's growing. I take it out and it's deflated. It's so frustrating because we don't use egg at home. So it's always like egg replacer and it doesn't have the same vibe. The next one is, what's your favourite genre of books? I'm a bit biased, but I like poetry books. But I actually like reading biographies. I think it's quite nice to learn about the individual story. Not necessarily just any odd story, but I think biographies have a different appeal to them. Oh, I love that. What was your worst subject at school? To us, I was never particularly good at science. Yeah, mine was science. I've never caught on with me. Whereas like maths and English were probably just like my better subjects. But yeah, science and me weren't really the best of friends. Uh, I hated science. Like I just didn't enjoy it. This is why like, I just couldn't become a doctor. That's the same with me. My parents' hopes of being a doctor for me when I dashed as soon as I was like, I hate science. Literally, when I was just like, so are we not doing like a science-related course at university? No. Um, you're going to have to seek that through your grandchildren now because we've reached our potential. <laughs> um, and finally, I think this is very fitting for today because it is a very typical British rainy day today. What is the one thing that you do on like a rainy day? Oh, just cozy up with a hot drink, read a nice book, or um, just watch some TV and just have chill time. Yeah, it's very similar to me. I think mine's is always like curl up in a blanket and just like watch movies and just like drink hot chocolate or something. Yes, I could do with hot chocolate right now. Yeah, I feel like I might get some with my cookies that I baked yesterday. Can you send some my way? Because you know I'm not going to be baking. I'll give you my self-raising flour. <laughs> oh my God. Not going to lie, I ended up eating cookies for breakfast. It was great, but I also could only eat one because they're really, like, heavy. Just plan it so, like, every other hour, you just have, like, a little bite. And then, like, by the end of the day, you've had, like, two solid cookies. It's great. And you don't feel bad because you've only had, like, a small amount, like, every hour. It's like, replenish your cookie. Like, you know how you're supposed to drink water every hour, just have a cookie break every hour? I love that. That is one of your five a day. That's how I believe. Oh my god, I've had so much fun talking to you. My cheeks hurt. <laughs> my cheeks hurt too. Like genuinely hurt too. Oh, thank you for speaking with me. It's been a blast. You've made my Saturday. I've given you Sunday off. <laughs> You've made my Sunday and my Saturday. Oh, thank no, you. I genuinely am really appreciative of like having you on my podcast. I love your work and I just want you to keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for having me.
I really hope you enjoyed that episode and it made your day a little bit brighter. Let me know if you can relate to me or Ishbri. Tweet me at Pretty Personal or you can send me a DM on Instagram. Or again, if you're old school, you can also email me at itsprettypersonal at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to this podcast because I do release new episodes every single Tuesday. So I'll speak to you guys next week. Okay, bye.